Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. I want you to know we are again inviting people this Lent to join a community group. This is an opportunity to come together, study scripture. We're going to follow the sermon series, Searching for Resurrection. We're going to look at four characters in the story of Jesus that are searching for resurrection, that find the solution to the problems of their lives in Christ's resurrection and invite you. I just finished the uh, curriculum the other day, and it's hopefully a time where we get to know people um, and talk about what matters. You know, with four services, there's a lot of folks that are part of the RPC family where we, who we never see. If you always come to 1115 and, and they're 815ers, this is a great opportunity to get together. You can sign up outside the back sanctuary doors or go to the roswellpress.org website. And when you're there, you also can sign up for the uh, men's and women's retreat. Uh, that's the last day to sign up is today. And I heard the men's retreat has an amazing speaker, so you don't want to miss it. Although religion is in decline, they say, in North America, it's my argument that people are no less religious. They're simply treating secular objects and activities with religious devotion. They're worshiping counterfeit gods, what we're calling them. We've looked at the counterfeit gods of busyness, leisure, family, technology. Last Sunday, Lindsay gave a magnificent sermon on food. And today we look at the counterfeit God of work. Technology, they said, would free us from all this work. Now, though, we just take work wherever we go. And work often tempts us to make us think that it can make us feel like we are enough. That's what we've seen these counterfeit gods, they tempt us into making us think that they can make us feel like we're enough. So this morning we have a text from the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus gives a parable. It comes from Matthew 20 verses 1 through 16 where I think Jesus addresses this issue. Listen for the word of the Lord. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And at about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, They grumbled against the landowner, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? 
Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious, loving God, we ask that you might be our teacher in the next few moments, that you, by your Spirit, might speak a word that only you can speak, especially about such a powerful, counterfeit God that is present in our culture. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. How much success in your work will make you feel like you're enough? In 1930, the economist John Maynard Keynes wrote a paper titled, Economic Possibilities for Our Grandchildren. In it, he predicted that by the time his grandchildren were grown, people would be working for 15 hours a week. <laughs> John. In 1965, the United States Congress convened hearings. They were looking at the impending 24-hour work week. They estimated that by the year 2000, Americans would be swimming in free time. They would have, we would have more free time than we knew what to do with. They said summer camps would have to stay open year-around. Transportation infrastructure would totally need to be overhauled, they said, because there would be so much vacation traffic. In 2018, Americans left 768 million vacation days went unused. Represented $65.5 billion in lost benefits. Americans feel the pressure to work. The pop songs of the 1980s tried to warn us, folks. Cindy Lauper, she sang, when the working day is done, girls just want to have fun. The Bengals expressed the stress of when the weekend is coming to an end, and they say, it's just another manic Monday. Or old Dolly Parton warned us about working nine to five. She said, it'll drive you crazy if you let it. If your work defines you, if you worship your work, if you look to your work to make you feel like you're enough, it will drive you crazy. Now our text today is often referred to as the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. This title can be a little tendentious and cause us to misread and misinterpret the parable. The New Testament scholar who's at Vanderbilt, her name's Amy Jill Levine, she offers some other titles that we could give to the parable. She says, how about the parable of the complaining day laborers? Or how about the, the parable of the surprising salaries? The parable of the humane capitalist or lessons for both management and employees? What she tries to do there is help unsettle how we might interpret the passage you know, the titles were put on much later after Jesus preached this parable. She wants us to maybe see it in a different way. 
oftentimes we see this parable is meant to uh, speak about heaven or an abstract spiritual reality. But I think for those folks that were sitting in the crowd listening, it had very practical implications. Remember, most of the people there would have been peasants. They would have been day laborers themselves. They would have been identified with those workers in the parable. They would have heard this story and seen and heard themselves put into it. And I think some of them, hearing this parable, if their identity was really tied up with their work and they heard about these folks, these workers who only worked an hour and got paid for a full day's wage, they were probably deeply offended, as maybe some of us are. What are you talking about? You work an hour and get a full day's wage? That's unjust. Others, though, you know, maybe they didn't have their identity so tied up with their work. They might have heard Jesus tell the parable and they say, oh, those folks who worked for an hour, they worked really hard and were as productive as those that worked the whole day. Or they may have been very generous. They said, oh, I'm so good, so glad that they received a full day's wage. Now they'll be able to take care of their families. In the very first sentence of our passage, Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. This parable is about the kingdom of heaven. It tells us how things are from God's point of view. Things are different than the kingdom of earth. The kingdom of heaven, God sees things very differently. And by paying everyone the same, I think Jesus is relativizing the importance of work. He's saying, yes, work is important. Everyone gets paid. But it's not of ultimate importance. It's not the most important thing. So I ask you, is work an idol for you? Is work a counterfeit God? Now remember, work is not just what you do for a paycheck. Work could be the the honeydew list left by your spouse. It could be taking care of your grandchildren. I've heard that is a full-time job. Volunteering can feel like work. If you consider it work, then it's work. Psychologists tell us that a quarter of Americans are workaholics. What are the signs of a workaholic? I came across an article in Forbes magazine with the title, Five Signs You Might Be a Workaholic. Number one, you might be a workaholic if you try and work longer than your colleagues. Do you try to show up before everyone else and stay later? You might be a workaholic. Do you stay connected at all times? Sometimes working from home late into the night you might be a workaholic. One of the problems with this comes from what's known as Parkinson's law. Do you know this law? It goes like this. Work expands so as to fill the time available for its completion. Work expands to fill the time available for its completion. Studies say that the extra hours that people work do not lead to increased productivity. Number two, you might be a workaholic if you can't turn it off. 
if you're always thinking about work even when you're not working. The problem with this is it can lead to higher levels of stress, lead to serious health problems, they say. Number three, you might be a workaholic if your body often feels unwell. The first things to go when you become addicted to work or exercise and sleep. Researchers observed that the same symptoms that they find in other addicts are also found in workaholics. Number four, you might be a workaholic if you have strained relationships. If your loved ones are always saying, you're never around, I miss seeing you, you work too much, you may have a problem. If you wonder if you have a problem, just ask your loved ones. So why do a quarter of Americans, why are they workaholics? Why do so many people become consumed with their work? Why does it completely take over their lives? Number five, you might be a workaholic if you tie your worth up with your success at work. If you seek to find your ultimate fulfillment in your work, you will never work enough. You will always need to do more to feel like you're more. You'll get in a never-ending cycle. And then when someone gets paid as much as you, when you've been working the whole day and they've only worked an hour, you will have a deep sense of offense. How dare you pay them a full day's wage? I think we can all identify with this feeling, right? You see, in modernity, work has come to mean more than just what you do for a paycheck. It gives you a sense of identity. It tells us who you are, your sense of value, your sense of worth. How often do you meet somebody for the first time and you ask the question, what do you do? Has anyone ever responded to you? You say, what do you do? And they say, well, I walk the dog, I change diapers, I I watch Vanderpump rules. No. You're asking, what's your profession? What do you do for work? It says something about you. And our culture reveals a sense of value, of importance. In 1905, the sociologist, economist Max Weber published a very influential text called The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. This is the idea, or this is where we get the idea of the Protestant work ethic, if you've ever heard this. And in it, Weber looks at history, and he looks at the 16th century, and he says something happened with the evolution of capitalism and with the Reformation, especially with Calvinists, he said. He noticed that they begin to really value industriousness. They found hard work to be a virtue. And he said these folks would work really hard to accumulate wealth, and then they would save their wealth. Why did they do this, he says? He says they did it so it could tell everybody else that God had blessed them. So they'd work really hard, accumulate wealth to help everybody know that God valued them, that God blessed them. In modernity, modernity, what we've seen is God has been taken out of the equation, and now people work really hard to accumulate wealth to let everyone know that they're of value. 
Now, I'm not saying uh, hard work is a bad thing. But what I am saying is that if you find your ultimate value in your work, you're going to be in serious trouble. Now, the thing is, in the 16th century, Martin Luther, the founders of the Reformation, predicted this. He saw this. And so he came up with his doctrine or theology of vocation, a theology of calling. You see, up until that point, the only callings were those who were priests, monks, and nuns. They were religious in nature. Everybody else just wasn't called. You're called to a sacred vocation. But Luther comes along and says, that's not the case. Everyone has two vocations. You have a first calling where you're called to the church. You're called to follow Christ. And your second calling is your work. Vocation. Called to work. So you're called to the church. You're called to follow God. And you're called to work. And it's really important, he says, that we keep these in the proper relationship. The first calling is ultimate to the church, to follow Christ, and second is your work. When these get out of order, can lead to bad outcomes. Called to follow Christ in the church, and then we are called to our work. The trick is to remember both of these callings. Unfortunately, as we've seen over the last few weeks in our culture, we've forgotten the first calling to the church and to follow Christ. And often, though, the church forgets the second calling. We forget that you should feel encouraged, inspired to strive for excellence in your work. We follow Christ, but we also strive for excellence in our work. The British essayist who lived in the 20th century, Dorothy Sayers was her name. She was a part of a writing group in Oxford called The Inklings with C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien and Charles Williams. She wrote a great essay called Why Work? Here's what she says. The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. Interesting. She says that a person needs to worship God in church, but then from the pulpit, from his religion, from the church, should be inspired to make good tables. She goes on, if work is to find its right place in the world, It is the duty of the church to see to it that the work serves God and that the worker serves the work. Notice the proper relationship. The worker serves God. That the work serves God, it's subordinated to God, but then the worker serves the work, strives for excellence. Now let's imagine where this hits the ground in our lives. I can imagine you walked in today, you're a 25-year-old, beginning your career, you say, oh, Jeff, you know, look at you up there. You're in your 40s, you're in a big church, you've kind of arrived. Of course you're telling me not to work. I want to be successful. I love to work. I would respond, trust me, no matter how hard you work, 
No matter how successful you are, if you try to find your ultimate fulfillment, your ultimate value in your work, you won't get where you want to go. You'll never feel like you're enough. Now, I happen to know that this 25-year-old used to play a lot of tennis, a big tennis fan. So then I said to him, did you, did you read that great interview after the tennis champion Chris Everett retired? He says, no, I missed it. I said, oh, that's funny because I have it right here. Let me read it to you. She said this after retirement. I had no idea who I was or what I could be away from tennis. I was depressed and afraid because so much of my life had been defined by my being a tennis champion. I was completely lost. Winning made me feel like I was somebody. It made me feel pretty. It was like being hooked on a drug. I needed the wins, the applause, in order to have an identity. I would counsel that person, be very careful about letting your identity get tied up with your work. Or maybe you're a person who's just retired. You said, Jeff, I'm done working. I'm living the good life. I'm golfing, I'm traveling, visiting my children and grandchildren, putting my feet up. I'm done with work. Say, dear friend, congratulations for a great career. Congratulations on getting retired. You still have two vocations. Follow Christ and to work. Find that work in serving others. Find that work in volunteering. You're still called to be active, to work. And also remember those grandchildren you mentioned. Remind them of the importance of excellence and striving to get better and to work hard. That's important, but never to find their ultimate value in it. Because the rest of the culture is going to try to get them to believe that. Don't let them. Remind them that they are a beloved child of God, that you love them and that God loved them, irrespective of what they do and their work. Or maybe you're a stay-at-home parent. Saying, Jeff, I feel like I'm working all the time. Grocery shopping, running errands, answering teacher emails, arranging carpools. I'm exhausted. I'm not getting paid and I'm not getting any credit. Friend, it does sound like a lot of work. Try as hard as you can not to find your value in your work. Try not to. God says you're enough, irrespective of it, even when you feel like others don't value. Whatever your work is, it's important, but it's not the most important thing. Remember the workers in the vineyard. They all worked, some all day and some for an hour, but they got paid the same. Friends, no matter what your work is, God has expressed, has expressed His value of you in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, God has already done the work for us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you have done the work for us. May we find freedom from making work a counterfeit God and worshiping it, but may we find our value in you and then still strive to glorify you in the works of our hands. In your name we pray. Amen.
Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.